previously in Ruth before we get into chapter four. So chapter one began with disaster, um, but it ended with hope. However, Ruth and Naomi were still in the midst of tragedy. In chapter two, we're introduced to Boaz. Progress is made and Naomi and Ruth, they find temporary security and rest through gleaning and through God's people. But where were they to find lasting security and rest? This is the question that we were left with. Chapter three showed us how. In this context, through marriage to Boaz, the family redeemer. But then in a big plot twist, at the end of chapter three, we see that there is actually another family redeemer who has the right of marriage before Boaz. Uh Uh-oh. And so this is where we left off last week. And of course, as we've gone through each chapter, we've seen that God is very much at work in the lives of his people and for his own saving purpose. Now, a quick word to the children. You're going to hear a word pop up a lot tonight. It's the word redeemer. It's going to pop up quite regularly. So when you hear that word, a redeemer is someone who saves something that was lost or has been taken away. So they buy back something that's been gone. And thank you for, to Kate for reading that. We've heard the story wrap up and there was great closure. And I, I think it's a very satisfying ending. It's not like a modern art house film that relishes in leaving things unresolved. It's not like a war film where the story's good, but the ending's pretty somber. The ending is happy. And so we're going to work through the chapter and see how things pan out. So that brings us to point number one, happy ending one. So you've seen my talk outline. It's a bit repetitive. Um, I wasn't being lazy, I swear. Uh, I just, what can I say? I'm a capital R romantic. I'm a sucker for a happy ending, the more the merrier. And the first happy ending is of the love story between Ruth and Boaz. So let's see what happened. Read in verse one that Boaz goes to the town gate. And we get the sense that this transpires pretty quickly after the events of chapter three that finished with Boaz saying he won't rest until the matter with Ruth is settled. Well, what is that matter? Well, Boaz wants to redeem Ruth through marriage, but again, there is a problem. There is a closer relative who has the first obligation. Why the town gate? Well, that's where business used to be conducted. There were large places, not just like a doorway. There were soldiers stationed to protect the town, but it was also where administrative and judicial business occurred. So what we had to understand here is that Boaz, always trying to do things the right way, is trying to sort this out publicly and officially, not underhandedly. We also read in verse 1 that he sat down just as the closer guardian redeemer came along. Another example of God's providence, perhaps, or maybe Boaz just knew where to be and when he would be there. But either way, Boaz invites him to sit down, and in verse 2, he also invites 10 town elders to sit down with them. Then he gets straight down to business, and in verse 3, we see something a bit strange. He, we read that he doesn't go straight to the matter that we know he is most interested in, which is Ruth. He actually begins with land. Now, this was foreshadowed a little bit last week when we saw that this involved the Leveret law, where the goel, which is the Hebrew word for the close relative redeemer, was obligated to buy or redeem not just people, not just the widow of a a family member, 
but also land. And we saw that this was to be understood as part of the covenant between God and his people. So property was to be kept in the family and widows were to be provided for. So Boaz says that Naomi's land needs to be bought and he asks the closer redeemer if he will fulfill his duty. Boaz notes in verse 3 that Elimelech is a relative of them both and we don't know how exactly but it doesn't really matter. And in verse 4, the Redeemer responds saying, I will redeem it. Yes, he's going to do it. And oh man, can you imagine Boaz when he heard this? Although the... Sorry, I keep whacking my... Knocking the screen around a little bit. Although the unnamed Redeemer is meant to do his duty, we of course, we want Boaz to do it. We're on Boaz's team. And if the chapter ended here, I don't think that would be a very happy ending. But thankfully, it doesn't. Boaz changed tax. He plays the trump card. He then says in verse 5, Oh, by the way, if you buy the land, you must also marry Ruth the Moabite. And I like again the gentle reminder there that Ruth is a foreigner, foreigner, the Moabite. This could be a problem for the unnamed redeemer, or at least make it less attractive. Uh, but we know it won't be for Boaz. And we actually learn later in this chapter that Boaz's mother was Rahab, who was a faithful foreigner herself. So he was to marry Ruth, the closer redeemer, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the, profit, with the property. Now, this really does change things. It throws a spanner in the works. Now, redeeming the land will actually cost a lot more. It's not just an investment opportunity. The unnamed redeemer's great opportunity has become more complex. Why would it cost more? Well, it's not just because a wife or perhaps here a second wife, we don't know, would make life a bit more complicated. Surely it wouldn't. But the redeemer would actually have to buy the field. But he doesn't get to keep it. It would be expected that he would have children with Ruth and then the land would go to Ruth's children and continue on Elimelech and Marlon's name, not his own name. And given his own family situation, which we, we don't know, if he had no children of his own, his name might get extinguished altogether as Elimelech's and Marlon's is carried on. Further, he would also need not just to support Ruth, but Naomi as well for their entire lives. So it really would require an act of sacrifice. And thankfully, we see quickly that this redeemer is not the romantic type. And in verse 6, Boaz and you and me can let out our collectively held breath because the redeemer backtracks and says, then I cannot do it. And we understand that there must be a cost involved because he gives his reason as I might endanger my own estate. But we sigh, we're happy, the hurdle has been hurdled. You may notice that there are a lot of names given in this chapter. There are names everywhere you look, but this close redeemer is not given one. And he's also given very few words, just 19 in total compared to Boaz's 93. I'll just give you five minutes to count them. No, I won't. Trust me. Um, there's nothing explicitly negative said about this closer redeemer. He doesn't actually have legal obligations. And if Boaz is willing, then it seems like play on. Um, I think he's remained nameless to present as a strong contrast to Boaz, whose name is said a lot 
kind of like Orpah to Ruth in chapter one, we want the focus to be on the main character here, Boaz. Well, we come to verse seven, and it's kind of like an aside in a play. It's an, an it's a necessary side note about a custom which we sadly don't engage in anymore, that of taking off your sandal and giving it to another as a binding contract involving property transfer or, or things like that. It made the transaction legal. And I'm very thankful for the explanation in verse 7 because in verse 8, that's exactly what happens. The Redeemer removes his sandal and he gives it to Boaz saying, it's all yours. Again, I'm quite in favour of bringing that particular custom back. I think it adds a certain dramatic element to proceedings. However, I'm still on the fence about the custom of getting a wife when you buy land. Maybe. No, no. Um, So verses 9 and 10 They bring home for us the happy ending for Ruth and Boaz. Boaz calls on the witnesses to remember and uphold what has happened. Boaz has redeemed Naomi's Naomi's property and he's taken Ruth as his wife. And we all cheer. Woo! It's a happy ending. Verse 11, we hear the elders and the people affirm this as witnesses, and they bless the union. They ask that Boaz and Ruth become like the nation's great ancestors, like Rachel and Leah. Now, Rachel and Leah were the daughters of Laban, whom Jacob married. And so from them came the 12 tribes of Israel. And so too, the elders pray, may your house be built up. Then the prayers continue, may your family be like that of Perez, Tamar and Judah. Now, we've heard from chapter 1 that Boaz is from the tribe of Judah, so the blessing is in the same vein. But it's more so, it zones in a little. If you remember back to last week, we mentioned Tamar, and her stories in Genesis 38, if you want to look it up, was an example of this Leverite marriage, um, a, a redeemed marriage, if you will. It was the Redeemer law in action through a Goel, even though if you read the story, it's not quite as straightforward. But the tribe of Judah came from a family created by this law. Very similar situation. So they pray, likewise, may Ruth and Boaz's family be blessed. And the blessing is even shown here to be happening already, as we read in verse 13 that Ruth and Boaz have a son called Obed. It's a miracle from God, given there is a fair indication throughout Ruth that Ruth was previously barren, having been childless after 10 years of marriage to Marlon. Well, you might think that the book should end there. So there's a happy ending to the story that we want. That would make sense. However, like the Lord of the Rings extended edition, or like Batman the Dark Knight, although I don't know why with that, there are actually many endings. What could be better than one happy ending? Two happy endings. So your second point. On the outline, happy ending number two. Verses 13 to 17 have the subheading in the NIV, Naomi gets a son. So we skip forward now, and we mustn't forget that Naomi has a happy ending as well. She's a main character in the story, just like Ruth. In chapter one, it is Naomi who is empty, who wants to be called bitter. And it is she, just as much as Ruth, who needs provision, security and rest. And she finds it. Note what the women say to Naomi when Ruth gives birth to a son. They say this. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. 
May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew, renew your life and sustain you in old age. This is 14 and 15, sorry. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. What a great response to answered prayer, isn't it? Praise to God. Naomi too has been given permanent security and provision. She's no longer bitter and empty. She's thankful and full. And quite astoundingly, Ruth is even said to be better for Naomi than seven sons. Hard to look that line up, but the reference is um, to the ancient Israelite view that the ideal family consisted of seven sons. But Ruth's even better. So it's an amazing affirmation of the character of Ruth that she's placed as more valuable than seven sons. And what it's saying is Naomi could not be better looked after or taken care of. It's wonderful. The son here is even called a guardian redeemer himself because it is he who will take up that role for Naomi and care for her in her old age. So Naomi too finds provision and rest. So that's three redeemers in this chapter so far. The first unnamed one, Boaz, and now the son, Obed. Well, surely that's enough. Surely that's the end of the story. No, there's more. The book ends in verses 18 and 20 with a genealogy, a family tree, if you will. What a strong ending. I just finished reading Harry Potter again, and that finishes with a big genealogy. No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. But it's important that we don't see the story as pattering out to you in an unimportant way. It's not an anticlimax, far from it. This genealogy is actually really important, and it points us towards yet another happy ending, number three. That's a happy ending for God's people. So the book of Ruth, as we have already seen many times, it's not just about Ruth. It is, but it's about a lot more than that. In fact, it's about more than all the characters in the story. It's also a story that shows how God is at work through his people to bring about his great saving purposes. So we get to Obed, but Obed isn't the focus for very long. We then read on to find out that he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, the great king of Israel. Why is this important? Well, the story takes place in the time of the judges when there is no king. And as we read through the Old Testament following this time, we see that the nation's hopes of a permanent redeemer and a provider are found in David. King David, in many ways, represents the, the pinnacle of Old Testament history and the climax to Perez's genealogy here. So what's the purpose? Well, it's important that the story of Naomi, Ruth and Boaz doesn't end with the birth of Obed because God's plan doesn't end with Obed. It doesn't end with Naomi, Ruth or Boaz. The story leads us to King David who rules well and redeems the nation on a large scale. He brought all of Israel's security and provision. Well, he did for a time and he did to a degree, didn't he? But this genealogy tells us where to look. It points forward. And of course, for us, we don't look forward into the future for a redeemer now, but backwards. We know living post-Jesus that the redeemers didn't stop at David and in David's line, in Ruth's line, there was another Redeemer who was also born in Bethlehem, 
who redeems not just Israel temporarily, but all of humanity perfectly and permanently. And he did so at great personal cost, not just financially, but with his life. As Boaz was Ruth's redeemer, as Obed was Naomi's redeemer, Jesus is our redeemer. So we see even in the dark days of the judges, the foundation here is laid for a line that would actually produce the saviour of a lost, the destitute humanity. <coughs> and I don't think it's an accident if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, that you'll see, perhaps strangely you might think, the whole of the New Testament itself begins with a genealogy. Matthew's gospel reproduces in part this material at the end of Ruth and at four points makes reference to the women involved. So if you look at verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, you'll see some familiar names. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. And as we keep tracing it down through the verses, we get to Jesus. This is so important that the gospel is summarized in 2 Timothy 2.8 as remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. I think we're going to hear a bit more about this in our upcoming sermon series. But, oh man, don't we get a glimpse of how God has worked in the whole world and throughout history when we read things like this? Don't we see clearly how God has worked through history to bring us Christ and to move us from death to life. The history of the world is God at work for our good. And I don't think there can be a more comforting message for us right now, can there? In the middle of a lockdown, when everywhere you look at the world, you just seem to shake your head at what you see. Well, read Ruth to see that God is both at work intimately in your own personal life and situation but also raise your eyes to the horizon. Read Ruth to see that God is at work in the universe. And if reading this has made you all excited about genealogies, don't worry, we're just about to go into a series on Chronicles over the next term. There'll be plenty more genealogies to get your teeth into, so get excited for that. I happen to know for a fact Sandy loves them, so don't stress thinking, oh man, only one genealogy, we're going to get lots more. Well, the book of Ruth, it's a very happy ending to a, a tragic story. And we too, as children of God, will get our happy ending thanks to our Redeemer. However, I feel like a caveat needs to be said here. We can't read Ruth as a promise that we will have an earthly happy ending ourselves. That's not what it's about. A harmful application would be one that saw this as a promise that our earthly lives will be abundantly happy, secure, restful. That's not there. We all have good times, but we also have times of great sadness and grief, and those times may well continue until we die. This side of heaven, we don't have that promise, but what we have is far greater. We have the promise of an eternal happy ending. Death for the Christian is not the end of the story, but just the beginning of a story that will be full of nothing but joy, security and rest. So Ruth actually points us to Christ. And so likewise, our lives should point to two things, that Jesus came and that Jesus will return.
We are a link in the chain, just like Ruth, but with such great dignity, just like Ruth as well. Um, so in the meantime, well, Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not weary in doing good, for the proper time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. And we may not see this harvest to heaven, but until heaven, but we know that God has not left us gleaning. Well, in conclusion, as we finish up the book, let's do a quick recap. We've seen some wonderful examples of godliness, haven't we? Ones that we really can look up to. We see people who are not concerned with doing the minimum or fully caught up just with keeping the law and standing on their rights. But we see characters who go above the law out of love for the good of others and for the love of God. Through this singular story, we see that if we turn back to God and seek shelter under his wings, he provides for his people through the great Redeemer. And he does this even though we are outsiders, just like Ruth was, or as Romans 5.8 says, even while we were enemies of God. God works in the lives of those who trust him, and he does this through Jesus, who came through the line of Ruth and David. So we see the scope of God's planning, it's big, and that is comforting. So there is a Redeemer, I think is the message that Ruth leaves us with. It's a wonder and we should marvel at it. And particularly in this time, um, we need never despair because Christ is born and because Christ will return again. Let me pray. Creator and sustainer of the world, you hold all within your gracious providence. As Ruth the Moabite, may we turn to you and find shelter under the refuge of your wings. And we praise you and thank you for the costly, self-giving, redeeming love of Christ Jesus. Amen.